Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit, or the Row Pit as it's now called. The Game Pit, I'm... please, thank you, Game Pit, thank you. <laughs> I'm Sean and here's your more regular host, Ronan. The Row Pit sounds a bit like the Ropey. <laughs> So I really want us to move away from any thought of that name, please, if we could. How are you, Sean? Welcome back after a little one one episode sabbatical. Indeed, yes, yes. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing your really long episode that you've got planned. It would already have been out by the time this is out. That's how numbering systems work. I know. I was just thinking that as I said it, but I thought I'd just carry through. Do I need to talk you through time again? (laughs) Yeah, how it works. (laughs) And the 172 is before 172. Can you, can you tell me how distance works? Distance and size works. That first. cow <laughs> is far away. You idiot. All right. We're just finding out unwittingly, like many fools, you've led us into the theme for today's episode there. Time travel. Because we're going to take everyone back to a distant year. 2012. See, before I looked into this, right, 2012 was, was heralded as one of the finest games ever for games. I've never been quite the finest games enough. ever for games. F- finest years ever for games. My this is going well. Should we, do we restart? Well. Should we throw this all in? No, we we'll throw it in. Let's do it. Let's... Oh, what, yeah. what, Warts and all. I can't <laughs> be. Finest years for games ever. And I've never really been bothered to actually go back and have a look to see if there's any validation for that. And this has made me do it. And I think there might be. So you're saying we're, we're expecting huge things from your list? My list is a very strong list in the in the mind and household of yeah, Sean Rice. Very strong. They're all go, go and have a couple of tots of brandy, all right? Get your words <laughs> sorted out and your timelines and come back in a minute. Yes, it is very strong. So as we've mentioned before, we're doing a top 100 countdown into next year to our 10-year anniversary. So this sort of comes on the back of that and all 10 of these are in my top 100. There we go. Spoilers for 10% of that. Don't bother listening to those episodes. And I don't think there's another year with 10 in there, Sean. So this indicates that 2012 is a massively strong year. Yeah, all, every single game on here is a keeper for one reason or another. There's some really amazing games that didn't make the list. And I know it annoys you, but I've done a 1 to 18, Ronan. Yeah, but it's a top 10. I know, but I just want to annoy you and say, oh, that one was my number 15. If we wanted a top 18, we could have just recorded a top 18. It would have just been twice as long. It wouldn't have been a problem. But you wanted a top 10. Well, 10's a nice round number. <laughs> I don't even... Okay, let's move on. My number 10 for 2012, Sean, is less of a game, more of a lifestyle choice nowadays. Oh, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Are you indeed? Star Wars X-Wing, the miniatures game. Okay, no, it didn't make my list. It is a no, fine game. It is a fabulous game. One that I haven't quite got into as much as some of my very good friends. They're very good at it, but it's been around me. And uh, many years ago, they used to even use me as practice fodder, and then they realised even that was pointless. I wasn't good enough just to be shot at X-Wing. <laughs> so I'm definitely no expert at it. And I know that it's uh, had some changes relatively recently, been handed over to a different company, possibly uh, not going as smoothly as it could. But the system itself, no matter how seriously you want to get into it, into competitions, or just play casually with family, is fantastic fun. It's quick-paced. There's lots of customization. The more you buy, the more you can customize your designs, and can play be played at many different levels. It's a fantastic game, Star Wars X-Men. 
So my my slight issue with this one is I don't think you can play that casually because you will disappear down that rabbit hole because there's so many expansions, there's so many ships that if no, you really Sean. like the no, game, Sean. you will disappear down that rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Not everyone. <laughs> And, but you're, you're just going to want more and more. You're going to want that ship. You're going to want Hans. No, you're gonna sure. Want the Millennium Falcon. You're going to want more and more. <laughs> a lot of people are going to disappear <laughs> down and true. have disappeared down a rabbit hole with this game. I think that's probably what keeps it slightly off. I did like it. I started buying a load of it, and I just didn't have the time to get it played or the partners to get it played. So, a very good game, but not on my list. Imagine if it came out in the next couple of years with how old James would be, 10, 11, 12. You two would have flown with it. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah, let's let's not never tell him about it, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> and mentioning James there, with him in mind and my younger son in the future, I'm going to choose the Enchanted Tower from Dry Magia Games as my number 10. Designed by the brands, very famous designers. And this is one of Dry Magia's very best game. You've got the theatre of turning things over and you've got the real toy factor of trying to ascertain whether you've got the right key for the for the castle at the end and if you if you turn the key princess pops out everyone goes Wee! and just such a good fun family experience all round james is too old for it now but i can certainly see him refinding his love for it once thomas is old enough to play it and dry magia have kind of lost their luster a little bit in recent years but this was one of their classics definite classic i played this with my kids when they were young Got it. Remember, I got that was given a um, demo copy at Essen. Do you remember that story? Not a great story. I just didn't have any left, but a lovely lady said, But we've got demo ones if you want that. I'm like, Yeah, whatever I can get. And my girls loved it, the whole theatre, the fact that someone's got to play the baddie and they're sneaking up and trying to grab you, and the other ones are running around trying to get information. The whole thing is a performance, and the, the more you can sort of sneer and snarl as the baddie and wind them up, I find the better it is because I like my children hating me. <laughs> so, what you've done well. <laughs> thank you thank you all my family members apparently even my cousins <laughs> my number nine is a game which will cause much consternation should you mention it in gaming circles and say that it's a great Ooh. game but it is in fact i had this conversation two weeks ago about lords of Waterdeep. Oh. it seems to be cool to diss it i know it's gonna be on your list somewhere but lords of Waterdeep is a work placement game it does do lots of things very simply, which you're collecting resources and you're handing them in for quests. It is a shopping list or a menu game. However, what makes it a fantastic game is scalability. And I know that doesn't make a game good by itself, but it does scale from two to six players. The second thing for me is that players build the board so that there's an actual way you can build buildings. And by doing that, you are dictating the relative scarcity of all of the, the adventures, the resources, fighters, mages, clerics, and thieves. So if you are going along the line where you want to do lots of pious missions and you're going to need more clerics, you're going to want to build buildings that bring clerics into the game because then their scarcity goes down and you're more likely to get more of them. And in doing so, there isn't a building built that brings out more fighters for the players who want to do warfare missions. And you don't know what everyone wants to do, but you're trying to bounce off each other. Secondly, it's got the intrigue cards, meaning that there is a way to sort of mitigate and it doesn't feel too sort of stabby as long as one person's not picked on all the time. But you can mitigate against each other. If things have rolled into place and lots of quests have come up that a certain player wants and they look like they're doing very well, well, there are intrigue cards for a bit of player interaction to slow them down. Also, the spaces on the board are very tight, 
So when someone goes to a particular space quite often, you're like, oh, I really need to go there this turn. So it has that tension. And I just think it does a lot of worker placement things very well. And it is, un- it is needlessly looked down upon, Sean. Lords of Waterdeep, my number nine. Well, you know I love this, and here's my first one, Rona, is literally my number 11. Just All right, out. all right, Tom, all right. <laughs> I can't believe this isn't in your list. I, 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 fact, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> you're wrong. Go and do your list again. Cause you okay, sorry. I do love this game, but I love everything else slightly more than it. So it was it, that was quite agonising to see where that actually came in the list. And I just had to put it slightly outside the top 10. Fantastic game. I've always enjoyed playing it. I don't know why it gets the the sneers and the, the writing comments because it is just a very good at what it does. My number nine is Among the Stars from Artipia, a tile lane game where you're building up a place, a space station. A PlayStation? No, a space station. And... It's got one other mechanism, a very simple mechanism in drafting, where you draft in every round, so you've got control, but not ultimate control, but you do know what you're passing on, so you've got the agonising decisions, you've got to be very careful where you build everything, you can chain off other people's stations as well, so you've got that interaction going on. I just think it's a really good tile laying game, done well, and it just ticks a lot of boxes for me, That's among the stars. It's... A good game, but it's no more than a good game, and it becomes samey. To me, I didn't find anything particularly clever or, oh, this time I'm going to try and do it this way, or that's how I'm going to try and do it that way. You're kind of forced by the draft to adapt. It's got that whole spatial thing, isn't it, for getting power to certain yeah, places. That's, right. that's yeah, kind of one yeah. of the main spatial drivers to it. And yeah, it's a good game, Sean, but it doesn't belong up here. So we'll just say Lords of Waterdeep's your number nine. If you just put just put it number nine, then you'll be exactly right. Shut up. One of the reasons I have to say, one of the reasons it's probably up here so much is because it's one of Natalie's favourite games of all time. And so she will always play this with me. So that's the bus you're throwing me under for this one, is it? Now? Yeah, yeah, After yeah. I've dissed it. You... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for you to diss it because I knew, I knew you're ignorant like that. So <laughs> I always know when Natalie's listening to an episode because my WhatsApp lights up with abuse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my number eight. I think the appreciation for this has grown on me, although I haven't played it for a while, because when I was newer to the hobby, I kind of thought, well, there must be Civ board games. You, you must be able to build a civilization up over time and basically play Civ, the computer game, as a board game. Turns out that's really, really difficult to do. And no one's really done it very well. Well, not you know, perfectly. So some of the... Games which came out when I was trying to find that game, I think I look back now and I'm more forgiving towards them because they did aspects of that well. So Clash of Cultures mm-hmm. did aspects of that very well. All right, the tech tree's not endlessly branching. You end up going up one of one of two or three different ways up or along it. But now I'm kind of a bit more forgiving because I realise I've tried so many games that have tried to do this better and they can't that you go back and go, actually, this is a fantastic game. It's just got the Monumental Edition release which basically is all the older content, just all in one. It hasn't really changed much at all. I still have it all from the original and the expansions and everything. I haven't played it for a good while. I need to get it played again. But it is a fabulous game, which I played a lot when it first came out. So my number eight is Clash of Cultures. It was in my top 18, Ronan. It was number 17 for me. And 
I think the base game is very good, but I think I would only play it with the expansion that gives you a civilization so that you've got that sort of asymmetrical feel to you and you've got you've got an identity to try and build your civilization against. That, for me, I would only play it with that expansion from now on. But, yeah, really strong game. I think what keeps it slightly off is... There was a mechanism where you sort of insert yourself in somebody else's city and you start reaping rewards from their city. And that used to really annoy me. But other than that, a really good game. Do you think it would still annoy you as much now? Because everyone, well, you and me, I think, started off not wanting to be messed with when we were playing games. But then you kind of get more used to it and it actually becomes more of a feature. I think I would go into it with my eyes a little bit more open this time. So, and I think a, a little bit easier to justify it because obviously people are trying to win the game. That's kind of a non-answer, but okay, I guess that's, <laughs> that's the one you're going to give me. What's your number eight? Moving on, it's going to upset you because I'm pretty sure this is going to be quite high on your list. But it is in my top ten. Remember that it's legendary Marvel deck building game from Upper Deck. A really good, fun game. I love my comics. We talk about this game all the time, so I'm not going to labour the point. But very, very good uh, deck building game. It's like I don't, I'm not a big fan of the sort of co-op stroke. I win, you lose at the end. But it's still a, a great game with some of my favourite characters from the Marvel Universe. I can't believe how low you put it. I knew you were going to be upset by that. My number seven is Legendary and Marvel Deep. Ah, I thought it'd be up in your top five. Nah, this is a deeply flawed game. Let's be clear about this game. This game, like, if I was going to objectively review this, this has got a huge issue. Scalability is a massive issue. Variety is a massive issue. No actual led by the publisher way to set up games to make sure they make sense. So you could be going through trying to set up a game and then you suddenly realise, oh, we could never win this because we don't have these sort of cards. So then you have to swap it out. The whole difficulty, I mean, if you have too few players, it's incredibly easy. If you have too many, it's incredibly difficult. It was definitely refined with the encounter system. I don't think the encounter system works for everything. I think it would Buffy, it was a complete mess. With Alien, it's fantastic, and there's lots in between there. The legendary system itself has got problems, but, Sean, we're getting to play with our favourite heroes in literally billions of different scenarios. <laughs> billions. No two games will ever be the same, and it's very clever the way that they've thrown up sort of different challenges and to tweak on a system that you think, how much can they really do here? to bring out different challenges and they've been incredibly creative in that way that you're always having to think slightly differently and oh oh this time all our heroes are turning into zombies we've got to stop that happening oh this time it's destroying part of the board we've got to stop that happening and whatever it might be it endlessly endless endless replayability but a fragile system use the app that helps you set up games what's your number seven Sean? so my number seven is another game I, I'm expecting to see on your list at some point is Zombicide from Seymour and the original Zombicide, for me, is still the one that's got the most legs. It's still the one that I go back to. I've never played any of the like the two and three, seasons two and three. I have played the Black Plague. I didn't particularly care for it. I wasn't interested in the space one. I'm not that interested in the Marvel one, to be honest, because there's so much content out for the original Zombicide, and they've just re-released it in a polished up, refined version of second edition so that shows me that there's still legs in it from the publisher's point of view and they're still selling it so i think it's just a really strong game and it does everything i want it to yeah this sort of defines the system that's been rinsed to death doesn't it 
that yeah. anything we can, what should we do? Oh, a fantasy theme. Well, that's pretty obvious. A science fiction theme. That's pretty obvious. Oh, we got a Marvel license. Quick, throw it on there. We're going to make money. <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make money for your company and your employees and all the rest of it? But as you say, the base on the side will do me. I know there's lots of things you can add in to tweak it around. And it, even when you play different scenarios, it can be slightly different. I will say that we've slightly played it to death, but it's still on our shelf and we still every now and then we'll get it out and run through. And we've got our three characters each that we like to play with. And it, it's just, it's really good system and it's fun. Very good, very good. Your number six. Is a, is a little bickle one, Sean. Oh, Bickle one. Oh, oh Rowley. Okay, I like that Bickle one. Oh, okay, that's good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Just eat something quickly. <laughs> it's for a group of people who are up for a laugh. It's a fake artist goes to New York in which everyone apart from one person is going to be given something to draw on a shared piece of paper that's going to go around. Everyone's got their own colour of, of marker, basically. And then you add as much or as little onto the picture as you want to on your turn. As it goes round, when it gets to the person who doesn't know what everyone else is building, they also have to put something on the paper without revealing who they are. And it'll go round twice. After it's gone round twice, if the person who set the task can guess who the fake artist is, then there's a possibility of the group winning. If they can't guess that right, everyone chats about it, by the way. If you can't guess that right, everyone's lost apart from the fake artist. If you guess the fake artist, the fake artist has a chance to say what the picture was off. And if they get that right, they still win. So, as the fake artist, you're trying to not be obviously wrong, but if for everyone else, you cannot make it obvious what you're drawing together or attempting to draw, or you don't even have to draw the thing. You can sort of indicate, I know what it is. But then if you try and do that too subtly, everyone will be like, well, what are you drawing? And then afterwards, you can go, well, it's the rock that the lighthouse was near, or that's the, the fish that the lighthouse keeper was having for dinner, or whatever it might be. And everyone's like, you're an idiot. We thought it was you. <laughs> Whereas the fake artist has drawn like uh, an acute angle and then a circle somewhere else. Everyone's gone, yeah, obviously that looks like that. I'm like, well, it doesn't. They just drew two shapes. So it just must. But it's very funny and everyone has a laugh. And the sort of the different colours is kind of genius. You can see what everyone's drawn and it creates. It's just a really, really clever, simple, fun game that I've played with lots of people and they've ended up buying their own copies and had a great laugh with it. So my number six is a fake artist goes to New York. Yeah, it's a it's a really good game, lots of fun. I've only played it a couple of times around at your house, but I uh, always had lots of fun with it. Don't think it was ever going to make my top ten because I just haven't played it enough. But uh, yeah, I, I like it. I likes it. And my number six is a game called Libertalia. It came from a, a company called Marabunta, who I don't think are around anymore. And it's based on your pirates. And what you're doing in Libertalia and what makes it so good for me is each player starts off with the same set of cards in their hand. And this, this card is drafted from a, from a massive deck of cards and you start off with the same pirates for your ship. And you're going to play them. But as you go, well, you play one card per round. As you go, you get slightly different hands because you bring slightly different cards into your hand. So your hand evolves over time. And what these cards do is they will get you treasure or they could attack the other players. And it's knowing what most of the cards are in other people's hands and chiming when you're going to play things. I just think it's a really clever game. It's basically a, a set collection stroke point salad game when it boils down to it but just that the act of how you get that is really interesting to me and it's long time been in my top game list you do love it 
I do. Lots of people love it, so I can't navigate you too much. <laughs> but it is a flawed game. <laughs> a lot of those, a lot of it is fun, and it is quite funny, and I will happily play it. It's a good game. To be sort of devil's advocate is that a lot of the actions are very mechanical towards getting points. But but to play well, to judge, you're actually really trying to win the game because that's where the competition comes from, the cutthroat nature. But a lot of that is driven by luck. And you can play cards at the same time as someone else, but your card is like the lower down version of that card, so it gets to go after theirs, and suddenly your turn was useless and they did had a really good turn. And so you're playing the game where you're trying quite hard to win. You're having to think a lot. You're trying to follow multiple hands of cards around the table a bit. Not exactly card counting, but, oh, they haven't played that. They haven't played that. They're going to time that. And some of the cards also are only useful at certain points within a round. So you will have to play that early or you will have to play that one late or when that particular pot is built up, whatever it might be. And then if you've got the version of that card that is just lower down the order, then you can. it's never useful. And it, I kind of got frustrated sometimes with it. So I had fun, but I could never take it seriously enough to really care because it's when you care that really the potato comes fun because you're like, yeah, oh, no, oh, oh. Whereas I was always like a bit, ah, uh, whatever. You had the three version, I had the five version. So that's the only, that's what took the Yeah, but I think you do know you've got the lower down version because you can see it. Like, I'm, I'm unlikely to win if multiple people play this But then if that time. card is situationally only good on a particular round, you know I think what I mean? Beginning, yeah. I think at the beginning, the first couple of rounds, definitely. But once people start to slightly change their hands and, and they're holding on to cards that they, they think is going to score them big, you can nip in and block them and just mess with them a little bit and stuff you like that. You think you can. You think you can. <laughs> but really, you it can. just comes down to sort of timing luck. You can. You can to a degree. There is luck. I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with that. Of course there's luck in it. But I think there's also a lot of skill and timing. Well, that's, that's, that's a big claim. Okay, yeah. my number five is definitely coming up later. There's no way you're saying this isn't coming up later, so I really don't want to talk about it too much. And if you don't mention it later, we'll talk about it after number ones, but you will mention Suburbia. So that's it. We'll talk about it in a bit, because I know it's coming up for you. <laughs> What's your number five? You think you know me. You I don't, think... you know, that is definitely there. I know it is. You know what? I still haven't decided what my one and two is. They're sitting there side by side. Well, that suggests that Suburbia is either your one or two, so we'll talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't have said that, should I? No, um, my number five, I don't know where it is with you, because you used to love it, but I don't know if you still do. My number five is Keyflower from R&D Games. Really interesting bidding mechanism when you're building up your, your little tableau and trying to get tiles to chain off each other and trying to get meeples into into your hands to do your to bid for you to get future tiles there's also a sort of a spatial thing where you've got to move things around to score points and just a really clever game what i really like is the interaction between the players because you're constantly thinking like what's Ronan got how can he outbid me for this tile or should I go all in for that tile to block him and that's that's the bit that I think sets it above like your bog standard tile layers and and Euro games of this type so I never really liked it you just lying <laughs> I didn't you <laughs> I, I've never played it enough Oh, I thought you really yeah, liked I've, it. Yeah, I've played it a couple of times, two or three times, and that's it. I think it's got some very clever mechanisms. I tell you, the th- and this this is a judgment on me, not Keyflower. The thing that helped me back is I am terrible at it. <laughs> I mean, rank, awful, terrible. We played, and you destroyed me. I played with Paget, he destroyed me. 
I played with my other gaming friends. They destroyed me. I was just thinking, I, I cannot get this Which game. is weird. Which is weird to me because normally when it comes to like auction games and bidding, you, you normally are very good at reading what other people are going to do. Yeah, I can't read this too much. It's so wrong. <laughs> when I'm there trying to look, because you can use everyone else's little cities, but it's quite, you know, sitting on a table, you have to know what everyone's tiles do. I tell you that I'd like to come back to it because we've played more of the key games. And this, even though it came in the middle, is like the granddad of all those other key games because a lot of the mechanisms have just been reused yeah. in that, you know, the spatial thing and having to move, having enough carts to move a certain distance of resources and being able to use each other's tiles. What was the one that in particular reused that we built, you could build along the river? And you had to have carts to move around. We played it a few times. Key flow, was it? Was it key flow? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah possibly. Anyway, yeah. a lot of those key games currently just go into each other, don't they? So, I, yeah, I can understand. This is one of the ones where it's like the opposite of Legendary. Legendary, objectively, is really, it's not great, but subjectively is. This is the other way around. And uh, definitely, I would love to go back to it with understanding the bigger system a bit more. So I think I could focus a bit more, but it was just too much going on. My brain couldn't cope. I'm too thick for key flowers, George. God bless you. <laughs> right, my number four, you knew it was coming up. I said we've almost played it to death, but we haven't quite. To death, he, Zombicide. Fabulous game in its simplicity. The simplicity of what the enemy does and what you can do, what your options are. But... It's the missions and the situations that are created on the board that will lead to the difficult decisions and the weighing up of the, well, should we take a risky one here or should we try and play safe or slower? But playing slower means there'll be more and more zombies coming out. The fact that you have to manage each other's experience, you can't get one person get to the red level while everyone else is on yellow because they're all going to get mushed because they haven't got all their extra powers. You become more powerful as more zombies come into the game. So there's a progression where you appreciate that, oh, I can do more, but that doesn't mean it's a lot easier. In fact, it generally gets harder. And it's just a lovely, simple, get it out, play it, have loads of fun game with loads and loads of content, which, to be honest, a lot of the extra stuff has added nothing for me. I talk about the dogs and the ravens and the toxic zombies and all the rest of it. That haven't really bothered me. I still would rather just play a mission out of the compendium of base Zombicide. But it's my number four for 2012 because we've had dozens and dozens of fantastic games. For it. Yeah, it's, and it's one of those that you, you get stories coming off the table that you talk about later on. Oh, there's one in, in my family where I defended like against eight zombies with a frying pan. <laughs> and I, I, I basically won the game for everyone with a frying pan <laughs> and and we still talk about that today We're even telling James about oh you got to play this game daddy once won the game with a frying pan and he's like oh, I want to play it I want to play it uh, so that's cool yeah you know I love it and my number four is a game Ronan knows I adore and it's Dungeon Command coming from Wizards of the Coast a skirmish miniatures game that really, really flew under the radar, I think. You, you're playing your miniatures onto the board with using a card system, and I think the game is just so well-balanced, really interesting and different factions that all play slightly differently, and you have to really sort of get into the mindset of how they should play. And I, I don't think I've ever had a game that didn't go down to the wire. It's just so well-balanced. And again, a, a game that makes those stories that we talk about. I'll remind you about my Umber Hulk, Ronan. 
you shan't remind me of your umber hulk or I should go into a raging rage about your umber hulk. It's a fabulous game. Really a fantastic game and deserves much more attention. I will say that this is just outside my top 10 probably. I didn't number my 11 to 18 because it was a top 10, Sean. But the only, only, only thing that stops this from being top tier is that naturally you bought all of them and we never played with any one set more than three or four times between us. And so I always felt like there was more to dig in. And if we had like had those factions to play it more and more and more and learn what was in the deck and learn what each other's Umber Hulk could do, for example, I would know that it was possible that it was coming up. But other yeah. things as well. And not only what's coming up from the other players, but how to use the deck more. So these rubbish goblin archers that I'm doing nothing with, actually, if I use them in that way, then they could be useful. And I really feel like there was much more depth to it within the very, very simple system, deterministic combat, the, the luck coming from those sort of cards, if you like, but yeah, you haven't to mitigate yeah. all that as you go along. It's a really, really good system, Sean. Very close to my top 10. Very good. Okay. Into top three territory, Ronan. Hit us. Proving to myself that I just love to wallow in misery, Sean, <laughs> and pretend that I'm having a good time. My number three is Robinson Crusoe. One of the sort of keystones for difficult co-ops. It's winnable. It's not very winnable, but it is winnable. And if I get it out and play it two or three times, generally I can start winning that first base mission and then I move on from there and then I really can't start <laughs> trying to like get get the crosses up or rescue Jenny from the rocks or any of the other ones that are just, I'm not. Um, it's one of those systems I think that when you teach it to people, you see the light come on in their eyes and they're like, oh, wow, hold on. This is not easy. We really have to think about this. And like when they're looking for an alpha play or the right answer, there isn't a right answer. I can't tell you whether to risk it and send one worker to do that or send both. If you send both, we're wasting time. If you send one, they might break their leg or they might get a spider bite. They'll come back to it or literally bite you in the behind later on. And th there is no right answer. There are strategies. There are ways of playing. There are things we can do that look like they would help us eventually. But every game is different. Every player brings their own thoughts and styles to this game, I find, after a while. Because there's so much to think about. No one falls into a pattern of play. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous system. I'm actually looking here. I'm thinking about playing the Voyages of the Beagle again. And then I've got Mystery Tales on open downstairs. And there's loads of content for it. Horrible rule book from Portal. <laughs> Horrible rule book. Second edition rule book, not that much better. But you can get guides out there. And if you've never played Robinson Crusoe and you fancy a tough cop, give it a go. It is a magnificent game. My number 13, Ronan. And this game would be a lot higher if I'd have been able to play it more because of that rule book. If you don't play it for six months, you have to go back to the rule book, and it just put me off to the point where I just got rid of the game. I'm really close to getting it back in again because I love it so much. Natalie devastated me the other day when she told me she absolutely hated it, so I've got, <laughs> I'm going to have to teach James somehow. But it's one of those games where everything is interesting. Even if you go and gather something, something interesting is always on the horizon. Like, as you said, you might get bitten by a snake or fall down a cliff and break your, your arm. It's always something on the horizon. Notice that everything we're saying that's interesting is not good things. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very good game. And I think it would be in my top 10 if I got some more plays of it. Beautiful. Well, what is in your top three, Sean? 
Right, you're going to moan at me because it's a slight cheaty cheaty. Oh. Here we go. Merchant of Venus second edition from Fantasy Flight Games. And there are two separate entries on BGG, so that's what I'm going by. <laughs> and this is the only version that I've ever played of the game. This is the game that made me realise I really like pick up and deliver as a mechanism. I think it's a really interesting game in that all the different aliens and all the different cargo and the ways that you have to get places. I love the theming, love the interaction between players trying to race to things and discovering things in the game. Another thing that I really like in games, I just think there's so much going on in this otherwise simple pick up and deliver game and I absolutely adore it. This is perfectly valid. Because no one could get hold. No one could get hold of the first one. Oh, fair enough. It basically didn't exist, did it? It's not like we're saying it was a second edition that came out two years later. It was exactly the same game. It was a different game. There was a a completely different system involved in it. I know if you're around at the time, it was one of the great board game scandals of the sold Stronghold, FFG, who owns Merchants of Venus. Oh, yeah, Stronghold, we're going to make it, weren't we? The heady day. Someone had a deal with someone (laughs) and someone had a deal with someone else. What excitement. (laughs) So it came out with this classic version and new version. I think the classic version was probably better, in my opinion. I really think it was a fun game. What really got me and what... I, well, I'm surprised or you like it so much is that it's really stressful because of the race. Not because of the game itself, but because of the race to the money. And like, oh, I've got to spend money here. But if I spend it, if I spend $200 too much or whatever, space credit's too much, that could cost me the game in an hour's time. Like, oh, you're <laughs> balancing. And, uh, you know, how to upgrade your engines. You can skip certain things. You can get around quicker, but it costs a lot of money to upgrade those engines. And are you going to make enough long-term distance deliveries to make it worthwhile? And that's all driven by you, which is one of the geniuses of the game. This is the same answer for you on my Robinson Crusoe. I just have not played it enough. I've only played it a couple of times, so it couldn't get in my top 10. But again, it's knocking on the door. Man, I haven't thought about this game in years. If you still got it, I might make. You. Oh yeah, definitely, I've got it. I've got it. I'll be. We might need a, like a 2012 nostalgia weekend here when we play a load of these games. It might have to be done. I'm, I'm looking at my list of games and hearing your list and going, I really want to play that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've hit that level, right? Well, my number two, I'm pretty sure, won't be on your nostalgia hit list that you really want to play it. <laughs> it is close to gaming genius it is a fabulous game which kept me up into the wee hours again and again and again and we still take it out with us and we still play it usually the batman version sean it is love letter it is love letter a fabulous little game of bluffing and guessing and pretending that you're really smart when you've just had a fluky guess and being all up in each other's grill and giving it all of that and then not actually finishing off the game and getting all of that back and laughing and there's patterns to it, but you never quite know exactly what's going on until the very end. It is possibly the greatest short game slash filler slash whatever you want to call it ever designed. It is right, right up there in my top games of ever. And it is lovely. My number 18. I'm shocked. Oh, yes. my God. That is a redemption story. You could write a yeah, book about Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I am coming around to the love letter, love. James loves letter. it. Uh, we make Natalie play it all the time. And, yeah, we really, really enjoy it now. And the older James gets and the more sort of... 
sneaky. The more sneaky he gets. Yeah, the more sneaky. The more sneaky he gets, the better it is for us. And it's just, a, yeah, so it's, it's a good game. It is a very, very good game. What's the story I always tell about six-year-old Caitlin sitting there guessing the princess at me while she had the princess in her hand? <laughs> Never um, been a prouder daddy. Oh, what a moment of pride. <laughs> and this gap-tooth smile as she put the princess down and won the game. I was just like, oh, my child. My child. <laughs> you glorious, glorious little girl. <laughs> it was beautiful. Mwah, so proud. <laughs> and my number two. You didn't know what it was. Here we go. Do you want to do your two and one together? Do you need to? Do you need to like make No, no, no. No, no, I'll do. DC Deck Builder is my number two. What could your number one be? Uh, what could it possibly be? <laughs> you know, I mean, I talk about this game all the time. It's just a very, very good, fun deck building game with some of my favourite characters ever in comicdom. I'm a DC fan. I'm a deck building fan. Again, all of my family love this game and we play it all the time. It's probably the game I've played the most other than Top Trumps. So, yeah, DC Deck Builder. I love it. It is a good game. It was not what people were hoping for because it came out and it was much around the same time as Legendary, obviously the same year, but it was much simpler than Legendary and yeah. people felt possibly a bit undersold. Because I think they were hoping for more from Legendary itself. And then they got DC and it is tons simpler than it. So I don't think it was loved enough for what it did. And what it did was a very, very simple deck builder that had thematic elements to it. Okay, it was confusing. Who are you? But who are you in Marvel Legendary? It doesn't make sense there because you play as all different heroes. So the whole thematic thing, I think, was always a bit of a bunk argument. The thing is, it does a deck builder in 20 minutes whereby you are trying to put together combinations and you have got that interaction against each other a bit, and there is a timing mechanism where you're racing to defeat the supervillains, and it all works very well. I think it's a fine game. I've never loved it as much as Sean, but also all the sort of hate never made any sense to me. Very good, right? Dun, 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 dun. Here's your fanfare. Thanks. I wasn't quite sure what was happening there. <laughs> Whether you just eat it just turned up, I don't know. <laughs> have, you, have you guessed my number one? Have you bothered? Because usually you kind of keep track of this sort of thing. I haven't bothered. Go on. All right, fine, fine. You used to try, Sean. You used to make it special. It's not Snowdonia, is it? Snowdonia? No, was that from 2012, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh that's another really good game that hasn't made it. <laughs> <laughs> no, my number one is Yido. Ah, of course. Yido is a fabulous, fabulous worker placement game with also bidding in it and with the same sort of thing like Lords of Waterdeep, the sort of menu fulfillment where you're trying to get, it's much more complicated than Lords of Waterdeep, where you're trying to get different elements together in order to fulfill quests, in order to score points. It is really, really mean. (laughs) It's not, but not just mean from you can deliberately be mean to each other but also it's very 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 tight and you you have to sort of time when you're going to certain areas of the board and if other players go there before you it can really stimmy your plans and if you get stuck and you can't fulfill quests then suddenly you've got no income coming in you spent all your money you've gone down a rabbit hole you can get stuck it's an unforgiving game in many many different ways but it is a brilliant game it's become very apparent to me over the years now, because I never really played it unless I had four or five players. 
but it doesn't work unless you have four or five players. It really just, all the magic sort of drains away. And also, those players must kind of enjoy being frustrated in a funny way. They must enjoy the fact that things will not always go your way. You must be slightly flexible. You also must be aware of what other players are doing. You're going to be laughing. You're going to be shouting. You're going to be cursing. We had a famous game at London on board one time with the five players. Four of the players had to get up and walk away from the table for a little bit of a cool down at different <laughs> times because they were getting frustrated playing. And the fifth guy, poor Jay, was sitting there just like very chilled out French guy going, I really like guys. It's just the game. Just, just play the game. He came horribly, horribly last. So that's what being relaxed during a game of Yido will do for you. It's not about that. It's about increasing your blood pressure and getting very excited about very small things. Yido, the best game of 2012. Absolutely fabulous. I never had the love for it. I did. I have played it a couple of times. I do like it. And weirdly enough, because Ronan sort of set the scene for me, I was able to get myself in that frame of mind where I wasn't going to be too bothered with the frustration and all that. But it was other people on the table that kind of ruined the game because they got so frustrated. I remember going around to a friend of ours and he was he was ready to quit halfway through. He was just so angry. And he's a guy that doesn't get angry in games. And that's kind of what keeps it from being amazing for me. Whereas Ronan thrives on that and he loves it. I get a bit uncomfortable when other people are really getting upset about it. <laughs> yeah, I thrive when people get upset. thrive on it. Well, there's you Come on. Go on, get more around that. Go on, go on. Pretty, pretty much. It's pretty much like the playground throwing kids together and making them fight. Uh, oh, let's clarify. I was also a kid when that used to happen. Oh, throw me under a bus. But, you know. You did it last week. Quiet, man. Quiet. Uh, yeah, I like it. It's a really good game. And not quite top 10 material for me, but still very good. Amazing game. What's your number one, Sean? What could it possibly be? It's uh, D-Day Dice. No, it's not. (laughs) It's Suburbia from Bezier Games. One of the finest tile lane city building games ever made. So good. So interactive. Building your city and trying to chain things together and chain off things and every tile the placement of it matters and watching your city grow but making sure you've got enough cash just such a good system and such a good game and you've got something at the end of it that's yours that you built all of those things i love in games and we know ronan likes it because it was in his top 10 as well it was my number five we got it out and played with it fairly recently Ellie had never played it before, and she was like, why have I never played this game before? <laughs> this game is amazing. It is an absolutely fabulous game. There are one or two slightly rough edges that keep it away from being my number one. PR firm, Sean, I'll always throw PR firm. Your PR firm and casino need to go. Casino even is not so bad because it's only money. So a whole major mechanism of the game is as you score points, your income in money and points goes down. So you have to constantly keep your engine running. The PR firm means that your income in points doesn't go down and can be worth a ridiculous amount of points by the end of the game if you get it quite early. Because each line you go past, it's another point every turn. That is. It could end up scoring you nine points a turn quite easily. And it's like, what is kind of in a game where, you know, how much did normal buildings score you? A few points, not that many. Not nine a turn. Hate that tile. And the second expansion wasn't the best. These are real nitpicks. It can be hard to keep track of everything. You, you mm-hmm. kind of can get to a point where you're oh, 
I forgot to add this for that and that green building over there should have added one to this and I'm not now quite sure where I should be. Those are minor nitpicks. It's my number five game of a very, very strong year and it's in my top 100 and it is fabulous and more importantly, it's about creating your own combinations. The whole bidding system is fantastic. When is something worth it to me? But not only is it worth it to me, is it ever going to come round again to me? So should I overpay? Because this is my only opportunity to get it. Uh, like you say, the spatial aspect, Sean, it's got so, so many great features. It is definitely a worthy number one. Cool, cool, cool. I'm just going to quickly run through my my other ones, Ronan. Well, that's cheating. Lords of Waterdeep, number 11. Number 12, D-Day Dice. Fabulous really game. Good game, yeah. love it. Number 13 was Robinson Crusoe. 14, and <laughs> we know Ronan hates this bad boy, Zolkin. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Number fifteen, it, it, it's one of those hit and miss fragile games. But Spartacus for the for the for the hits, it was magnificent. Number sixteen, Snowdonia. Number seventeen, Clash of Cultures, and then obviously number eighteen was Love Letter. Spartacus would have been in here definitely for the first five years after twenty twelve for sure. I absolutely loved the game. I had some incredible games of it. Like you say, really hit some incredible highs. I think it's probably in my top 10 ever at one point. Mm. But uh, <laughs> some of the games end up going not quite as so well. Sometimes people could learn how to super power up certain gladiators, which took the whole fighting aspect out of the game. And then yeah. finding the right game length became difficult because once you got good at the game, the quick game was too quick. But even going to the medium length game would take three or four hours and a long game was like a six or seven hour game for a mechanically quite simple game. So then yeah. you start having to judge the group around the table as to what version of this shall we play. And if we play the quick version, I'm going to destroy you because I know the game. And you know. It was always hard to find that group as well because you had to find people of similar experience with the game. Otherwise they would just not understand the sort of dynamics that were going on because it was so, it was so loosey goosey. Well, it? these were only problems that came from the fact that we played it so much. Yeah. I loved it so much that it just didn't sort of stand up. There are maybe some of these games, maybe in the top 10 or 20, that would also have suffered with that many plays, that intensely. Mm. So, you know, it's almost judged on a different scale to the others, but it did it did fade away. And uh, spoilers, is not in my top 100. Ooh, yeah. there you go. There you go. More spoilers for that. Right, Sean, anything else? We were going to mention the Kickstarter uh, that is const- currently ongoing. It is a... Uh, been described as Mass Effect the board game. Please don't use that. That's trademarked. It's called Rogue Angels, <laughs> Legacy of the Burning Suns. It's from Sun Tzu Games, Emil Larson, and it's a whole science fiction thing on a cooperative campaign in which there are many different characters you can choose from. They're little sort of standy things, and you're going on various missions. You get different upgrades, different cards to upgrade your characters, and you're making decisions to go through. You won't play all the missions in any one campaign. I think there's... I'm reading quickly here. 70 missions, but you'll only play with a maximum of 40 on the campaign. So there's lots of replayability. You're going around ships. There's a map book, kind of like the old uh, Jaws of the Lion thing going around the place. Anyway, Emil is someone who's been in contact with us over the years. We've played a few of his games, and he just asked us if we would mention it. So by all means, please go and look up Rogue Angels on Kickstarter and see if you like the look of it. I quite like the look of it, Sean. I'm sniffing. I'll see how the cash flow goes. Oh, I'm definitely having a sniff. It definitely looks like something I'd be interested in. So, right, well, you oh. sniff first, and once you've sniffed, I'll. <laughs> Damn it, he's got me again. <laughs> Any other business? 
No, I've um, I've been quite quiet on the Kickstarter. I've been buying lots of games, but I haven't been Kickstarting. I know you've been recently. buying lots of games. Like that. that I'm well aware of. <laughs> Ronan, Ronan keeps telling me off, because every time I contact him, I've bought a new game. Yeah, but you are playing loads of games at the moment, so that's good news. I am. I'm on a run. I'm on a really good run of, of getting games actually played to the table. So, With any luck, is that? before our uh, schedules uh, sync up, You'll be on the next episode. Review games, I probably won't be. I'll just be like, yeah, <laughs> season games. In fairness, I had a lovely weekend away in Bath this weekend and included a trip to Thirsty Meeples. Yeah, you played a couple of games there. Played Photosynthesis, which I played once before a long time ago. Didn't love the two-player game. Felt Ooh. it was a bit zero-sum. Someone gets ahead, they're, they're suddenly snowballing or, or sunballing or whatever it might be. Or maybe yeah. I was just terrible at it. And we played Most of Coloma which I enjoyed a lot, but definitely felt like it needed more players. But it was good to play two games that we don't own. Yeah, Coloma's a bit funny because you've got that dummy player that you can't, you can kind of read, but he can really mess you about. I think the dummy player is actually really well done, just for simple fact. So there's five areas you can go to, and if there's any one of the five areas has got the majority, then it only becomes half as effective. For the dummy player, it can go to only five players, but it's got five cards. You flip over the two of the cards, so you know it definitely is not going to go to those two. And I thought that was enough to make it feel like it wasn't too lucky because if you really, you could just choose one of those two to go to if you want to be completely safe. Yeah, yeah, true. So I actually think just to flip on those two cards, a simple thing to do, really took away a lot of the randomness that might have made it a bit annoying, if I'm honest. Cool. But I do like it. I've only played it once myself, so maybe that's one we can review in a later episode. Maybe. Bring it down next week when you come down. Cool, cool. Any other business, Ronan? No, see us out. Hey, right. Thank you very much, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to contact us, you can email us at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And our Board Game Geek Guild is always open for business and people pop in there and have a little chat and give us a bit of abuse. So bring it on. We'd love to hear from you. And... We're active as always on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. We've also got our Instagram and Facebook pages. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Bye 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 bye.